we are continuing our series studying the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to two passages that we're going to look at at the same time together. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll also look at Ephesians chapter 4. So go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, put a bookmark there, hold your finger there. And then flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, which is the passage that we will start in. When I hear the pages stop, I'll, uh, I'll get started. Today we're going to talk about what does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at two words that we see in this pa- these passages, the word quench and the word grieve. And we're just going to take the morning and discuss those. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say, Paul says to us, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. In other words... For the follower of Jesus, there should be a change. You with me? All right, say amen if you're with me this far. A follower of Jesus' life should look different than a person who is not a follower of Jesus. That's pretty simple, but it's pretty profound as well. Uh, That's why when someone comes to faith in Jesus, we often call it life change because it is a change of life. That's really everything in our life should be different after Jesus changes us. And, And understand, and we do, most of us, that we're talking about a process here. Sometimes a person will come to faith in Jesus, and if you've been a part of the family for a while... Sometimes when someone new comes into the family, becomes a follower of Jesus, and things don't immediately stop in their life. You know what I mean? Like some of the bad habits, some of the things that they've done before Jesus, if some of those things don't don't dry up and die right away, then sometimes we have a tendency to want to point them out. But it's a process. And the process is called sanctification. You and I are totally saved on day one, but we are in the process of becoming more Christ-like day by day. We are not fully sanctified on the day we meet Jesus. That means that for some people, uh, the process will continue gradually until we see Jesus. There will be things, ladies in the room, wives in the room, let me just talk to you for a moment. How many of you are married to a man in this room. Just raise your hand, ladies. How many of you married to a man in this room? All right, I don't need to ask anything else because you have already testified to the fact that they are indeed a work in progress, right? We are a work in... Why did I hear my wife louder than everybody else? I just... Jesus, help me. And he is. But that's the point, that it is a... A process. We're not fully sanctified. For some of us, the chains of addiction may break day one. Miraculously, day one. But if the chains of addiction break 25 years later, it's still just as miraculous. You with me? It's it's a it, but there should be change. 
It's a life change. Um, uh, uh, what does it mean that when we are changed, it means that something in our heart should change, our, our desires should change, our want to should be different than it was before Christ. Our, our appetites, we should see those, those changing. We, we begin to hunger and thirst for things that we didn't before, hunger and thirst for righteousness for my name's sake, for they shall be satisfied um, rather than hungering and thirsting after the things that we did formerly. The things of the flesh before Christ. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They just don't, he's saying these people just don't get it. You have people every week in your life that just don't seem to get it. You have around people that just, no matter how many times you explain, they just don't get it. Okay, I'm that, we're that people too. Okay. We look around like I don't understand. Like how are things so so different? I was sitting in my my uh, the life group that Kristen teaches this morning, and the conversation was around this idea that there are just there's different value systems in the world, and sometimes they're so different that we look at them and say, "I just I don't understand how they think that way. I don't understand why they love what they love. They just don't." They don't get it. Why? Well, the Bible tells us. They don't get it because their eyes have not been opened to a whole new, different way of living, a whole new value system. So really, we can't hold that against them. Lost people not only do act lost, they should act lost, shouldn't they? Or else why do we need Jesus? Verse 19, they have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, Paul says. Remember, he's talking to church people here. He's talking to church folk. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And basically, very simply, he says, you guys shouldn't look like those guys. Your life should be different. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. Here's what he said. Here, here it is. He said, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one another. That's very similar to what we're going to read in a moment in, in the Thessalonian letter. But here's the main point. Christianity has to be lived out in relationships. Our Christianity demonstrates itself in the way we relate to one another and to those who are outside the body of Christ. Every time we read about the value system of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it is in relationship to God and to other people. And Paul is going, to, is, is going to begin to dive into that here. Verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's all about relationship. Verse 29, 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, this is the one that we really want to key in on. Just tucked in here as Paul is talking about the way we relate to other believers and the way we relate to the world. And do not, say it with me, grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Why does it matter that we do not grieve, or in a moment we're going to read the word quench, the Holy Spirit? Just really briefly, a couple of very obvious reasons. The first one is this, because as followers of Jesus, we realize, and we said this day one in our series, We realize that the Holy Spirit is God, and it would be a foolish thing by choice to choose to offend, to cause him to grieve, or to quench his work in our lives. Because as followers of Jesus, we realize that the Holy Spirit of God is God. I know that's very, very simple. Secondly, because as followers of Jesus, we realize that if we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, we have no power in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we live, frankly speaking, in a day and age where the world is full of Christians who are trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Christ life inside of them. We live in a day and an age where Christianity has become a voting block more than it has a redeemed life. There is no power if there is no Holy Spirit. And when we quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, when we grieve the Holy Spirit in our own lives, we're left, what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no power. There's no power, no power for victory, no power for life change. So third, because as followers of Jesus, very simple, we love him. Right? We love God. The, the most basic thing that Christians of different denominations and belief systems should be able to agree on is this. We, we just, we're just people that love God. Like not just I'm scared of him and I want to do the right thing. I want to follow all the rules. Or I just love him. I just, I, at the end of the day, I love God. He's changed my life, so I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to quench his work. We don't like to hurt those that we love. So because we are followers of Jesus, we don't want to grieve him. That's why it matters. So what does it mean then to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? Well, let me just say this as well. If it weren't for the Apostle Paul here in the New Testament telling you that it was possible for you to quench the Holy Spirit, would you even believe that was a reality? I'm telling you, I wouldn't. Like, I would not imagine in a million years that somehow I have the power or the authority in and of myself to quench God. That's, I mean, that, that's almost blasphemous if it doesn't come from the Bible. And I'm so glad that Paul unpacks it for us 
The language of the Bible is very, very specific, and we can't get carried away, and we, we, we certainly don't want to start using descriptive words that, that aren't here, and we're not going to remove the power from these words either. They mean what they mean, nothing more, nothing less. And so we look at these words that are, are before us to determine what the original author meant. The first word there is grief, and everybody in the room understands, do you understand grief? Let me just sort of raise your hand. If you understand, you've experienced, you've experienced grief before. You have. Turn to somebody around. Just describe grief to somebody. Get it out. What would you say grief is? When I was a teenager, I, for a number of years, did not walk with the Lord. Uh, I, I, in fact, I, I did just the opposite. I, I walked away from the Lord. I, I lived for myself very selfishly, very foolishly. And I remember what I caused my parents. And I'm not saying this in a joking way, but what I caused in the life of those who loved me most was grief. It's godly sorrow. That's the picture here. It, it, it's grief is when we cause someone sorrow. We, we, we cause them to have this, this grief. Well, let that sink in for a moment. When, when you gather with the people that are in this room, if there is someone that you just don't like, and when you see them in the hall, if you had an ugly thought about them, or if you say something disrespectful about them behind their back, we know that is sin. And what we just read a moment ago is that sin, that relational sin, somehow causes God, what's the word? Grief or sorrow. We're talking about having, we're not talking about having power over God. We're talking about a God who allows himself to be affected by the way we treat fellow image bearers. Uh, only someone who has personality can experience grief. The spirit's a person, and he experienced grief and sorrow in a similar or same way that you and I experience grief and sorrow. So there, there's that first word. The, the, the first word is grief. Here's the second word. Now, I'm going to teach you this, about this word by a couple of pictures. So can we put those up on the screen? And go back. We can just not have me on the screen for a little bit, and everybody will be better for it. Okay, this that you see in the year 2013, 10 years ago, I was in my office at First Baptist Church in Black Forest, Colorado. Black Forest is a community north of Colorado Springs, Okay. Um, it is very near what is the United States Air Force Academy. And so we're, we're in an area, beautiful area, lots of pine trees. Um, and our church was in the middle of First Baptist Black Forest. And 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago this last week, it was the hottest day of the year. And when you live out west, if you've ever lived out west, then you understand this. This is a reality that we don't deal with here. They're dealing with it in Canada right now. But when you live out west, you learn that certain kinds of weather can be horrible in the summer. And the hottest day of the year, you, you just have some fear. 
especially if it's a windy day. And it was a scorcher, and it had not rained, it felt like, in weeks. And I walked out of my office, and at our church, um, my office was in a separate building, sort of like our, our family life center. And I, I walked out of my office, and I noticed a plume of smoke only a couple of miles away uh, from our church. So I ran next door to the main office. As I walked in the building, my senior pastor is running down the stairs, and he said, let's go. Here I am, a student pastor, the middle of summer, hottest day of the year. Can you guess how I was dressed? Shorts, T-shirt, flip-flops. So we jump in his SUV. Um, before I even know where we're going or why we're going there, we jump in the car and begin driving down the road. And he tells me, he said, that there, a fire is broken out, and it broke out very near one of our members' homes. Um, one of them was a doctor in surgery, an anesthesiologist. The other was a lawyer and in court in Denver. And they, could not get to, they couldn't get home, right? And this fire was exploding. And so we drove down the road. I'll never forget driving down the road. We drove down the road, and as we got closer, and it didn't take long to get close at all, that there was fire on both sides of the road that were passing fire trucks that are waving us down telling us, don't go that way. And when we pulled up in their, their yard, another friend met us there. Some of you will meet him in a few weeks when we go to Israel together. Vance Patterson met us over there. And we immediately grabbed rakes and shovels that we could find in their garage and began to rake brush and pine straw away from their home while we uh, manually turned on their sprinkler system to try and get their yard wet. Um, then I was told to kick in the door and... Kidnapped their dog, and so I did. Kicked in the door, I kicked in the door of the laundry room, and there's a giant poodle that just wet himself right there because he's now terrified. Alarms are going off. You can see flames out the back window of the house. And grabbed the dog, threw it in the car. Then I was told to go find the cat. Sad to say, I could not find the cat. Uh, the cat ran away. Some of you are not bothered by that at all. Those of you who are, rest assured, the cat lived we got their important documents out of the house, grabbed a laptop that had their pictures, their passports, so on and so forth. Um, and then the last thing I was told to get was the motorhome so they would have a place to live. Now look, I have never driven a motorhome before. I've never driven a motorhome since. Somebody tosses me the keys. I can handle it. I get in the motorhome. But those of you who do have RVs, you understand this, and those of us who don't have seen this, that on most RVs these days, uh, there's a big portion of that bad boy that can slide out. Well, I didn't know how to make it go back in, and it was already out. <laughs> so I, I get, here's the picture, right? I mean, this is the picture. The picture of me in a motorhome that is now like six feet wider than it necessarily needs to be, driving down the road. I kid you not, there are branches on fire on top of the vehicle. Like, I mean, it's like a scene out of a movie. We come busting out of the neighborhood uh, only because the police showed up and said, you guys got to leave. My pastor um, at the time said, well, uh, we know you can't, you can't force us to leave. We're trying to save their stuff. He said, no, but I can arrest you if you stay. And that was our cue to get, get out of Dodge. And so we drove away, and that was the Black Forest Fire, day one. Um, but the Black Forest Fire went on at the time to become the most destructive fire 
in the history of Colorado as far as, as, far as home loss. 511 houses burned to the ground in that fire. 13 of those homes were members that attended our church, belonged to our church. Um, there are multiple pictures up here. I want to show you a couple more. Just look. I don't know if y'all have seen them or not. What would happen, and we watched this. This is a state park near our home. Um, helicopters would come in. They would scoop up water, sometimes out of golf course ponds, uh, sometimes out of creeks, wherever it was deep enough. They'd scoop up water, and they'd go dump it on homes or near homes. I think there's one more picture. Uh, this is what it looked like after the fire. Uh, 511 homes, 13 members of our church, two people died in that home, uh, in, that, in that fire. I remember a couple days after the fire, or a couple days into the fire, rather, driving up a road that was sort of the right-hand border, the western border of Black Forest. It was a road called Powers Boulevard, and I remember driving up Powers Boulevard and watching the scene as these helicopters would scoop in pick up water and go dump them. I remember watching as that giant tanker plane would come and drop. You know what that stuff's called, anybody? That would drop on the, that, that red, cloudy-looking stuff. Go back to that picture, can we? You know what that's called? It's called slurry. And they would fly over and they would drop slurry over the black forest and the, and the trees. And... That's the image that I have in my mind when I hear the word quench. Because what that stuff would do is it would go down and it would smother. If it landed where it was supposed to, it would smother and quench. Have you ever poured a bucket of water on a campfire before you leave camp? You're quenching the fire. You're trying to put it out, and you want to do that enough, and so that it's not, I mean, it's not steaming or smoking, it's, it's done. Now, now, they use that stuff, that, that slurry, because it, it quenches, it suffocates the fire. That's the image that we have in our minds when we hear, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you, you've got your finger there? Let's look at what it says here. Now, just Keep that image in mind when we read this. Paul, again, to another church, says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good, to one another and everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not, say it with me, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not, now watch, isn't this interesting that immediately after that, he has a parallel sentence that says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, it's abstain from every form of evil. So we have this, uh, this, this image of quenching, of putting out a fire, of pouring slurry onto something destructive that, that, that has great power. 
Now, it's a word that's actually used all throughout Scripture. In fact, if you're taking notes, 2 Chronicles 20, 29, 6 and 7. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps. It's the same word as quenched. They put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. This put out the lamps, they quench, they, they smother the fire. Ephesians chapter 6, same author. He says, in all circumstances, take up the, the what of faith. Do you remember? The shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Why? What does the shield of faith do? It helps you to extinguish or quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Same word means to put out a flame, to smother something powerful. So both grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit of God are very similar in their result. They bring about, and we'll see this in a moment, but grieving the Holy Spirit or, or, or quenching him in his, his work in our lives leads in us to a lack of fulfillment and a lack of godly power in us, a lack of godly living. If the Holy Spirit is quenched or grieved in my life, it results in me not living in a way that brings honor and glory to his name. When we cause the Holy Spirit of God sorrow, we effectively don't allow him to work in our lives. In other words, we, we quench his work. So these things are slightly different, but bring about the same result. They're synonymous in this way. Um, there are two ways, think about this. There are two ways to quench a fire. Okay? Two ways. The first way is, now think about it like this. If you had a campfire and it's burning, but now it's time, we're going to go fishing, or we're going to go hiking, we, we, we're done cooking breakfast, and we need to go out for the day, what's the first thing you would do? First thing you'd do is you'd sort of You'd knock it over. You'd scatter it a little bit. In other words, what you're doing is you're removing the fuel from the fire. Two ways to extinguish a fire. Number one, remove the fuel. The first one, the first way to quench the Holy Spirit's work in our life is to remove the fuel for his fire. Am I still here? Okay. When, when I was a kid, there you guys, some of you have burn piles, and if you have paper boxes or whatever, you may go burn them. I remember after one Christmas, um, we were burning boxes, and uh, I, I was probably, it was probably my fault, probably being dumb, probably let's see how tall we can get this, um, but next thing we did, we looked up, and the woods were on fire, and so what did we do? Well, we got rakes, and we began to remove the fuel. We need to rake away these leaves and this brush. We want to quench the fire, so we need to take the fuel away from the situation. It's the first way to quench a fire. We see this in Scripture when Paul says, do not, remember, do not despise the Lord's gifts. Especially prophecy is what he says. So one of the ways that Paul would tell you and I that we can quench the Holy Spirit is by despising the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And he says to the church at Thessalonica, especially do not despise prophecies. Well, why would he do that? And I'll be honest with you. 
I'm not entirely sure why he says this to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, but here's what we can read um, into here. That the gift of prophecy very well may have been uh, abused some way in Thessalonica. Does that happen today in the church? Does it happen that spiritual gifts may be abused in the body of Christ today? Well, of course it does. We're flawed people. Sometimes we think that what the Lord has gifted me with is the most important gift in the church. So so we we can get things uh, uh, out of whack, so to speak. He's saying, the gifts of God. So the context that we find ourselves in, really not unlike the context that Paul found himself in, and yet Paul admonished the church to say, you can quench the Holy Spirit of God when you despise his gifts, uniquely drawing attention to the gift of prophecy. And Paul's response to this is pretty level-headed. He addresses it and he challenges the church not just to well, let everything go. He says, rather than despising the gifts, test everything. Make sure it's from the Lord. Then we're not despising the gifts of God, and we're not letting things run crazy in the church either. We're we're honoring what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our midst and in our lives. Some people have used it wrongly. So not rather than let's do away with the gift of prophecy, not that we could anyways, he's saying you need to learn to discern what is from the Lord and what's not from the Lord. See, we live in a day and age today in the church where there is massive disagreement over spiritual giftedness in the church. Did you know that? Of course you did. There is a massive disagreement today over the gifts that would be considered supernatural gifts. Are they still in effect today? Does God still do that today? Here's the reality. Every spiritual gift is a supernatural gift. Because you didn't have it before Jesus saved you. So whether it's one you don't understand, or whether it's one you're more comfortable with, they're all supernatural gifts. And if we're followers of Jesus, we have these supernatural gifts that God gave us at the moment of salvation that are meant to be cultivated. We're meant to learn to use them. We're not diving into those today, but in a couple weeks, we will look at the gifts of the Spirit and take a deep dive into those gifts, especially the ones that tend to make us uncomfortable. But Paul emphatically says that despising the gifts of the Spirit, you quench the Spirit. If you give somebody a gift, Christmas time, right? And it's something that you have waited to, I mean, it's a special gift. Right? I mean, it's something that you have thought about, that maybe you saw it. You're like, oh my goodness, that is going to remind them of this. Or I found, I found this, and we thought it was gone forever. And so you, you put thought into it, man. You put heart into it. And you know, you, can't, you just can't wait. You're like, you, I'm so excited to give the gift. And can you imagine what would happen if you gave the gift And they were like, oh, thanks. How would you feel? Grieved. Sorrowful. The God of the universe has gifts that he cannot wait to give to a person. Like, oh, I mean, I can only imagine. Man, I can't. This Man, they... 
I'm gonna give them this gift and it is gonna be beautiful. The way they are gonna strengthen the body of Christ, the way they are gonna encourage other people through this gift is gonna be great. And then for somebody to unwrap their gift and just be like, it grieves, it quenches the work of the Spirit. And Paul says that despising the gifts of the Spirit, you quench the Spirit. You hate the gift that God gives. We quench His work in our lives. And, and these are, there's so many references to go along with this and neglecting the gifts of the Spirit. So the, to the Thessalonians, though, he says, uh, we despise, we quench the gifts of the Spirit. When we do that, we, we just we shut down His work in our lives. But he says to Timothy, Timothy, this also happens not only when we despise the gifts of others, specifically the gift of prophecy, but he says to Timothy, to young Timothy, he says when we neglect our own spiritual gifts, we do the same thing. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14 and 15, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. For this reason, I remind you, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. Everybody, every follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift. And Paul says we really have two choices. We can quench the spirit of God's work in our lives, or we can fan into flame. And the encouragement in the New Testament is fan into flame the good work that he has started in you. Remember, two ways that we can put out a fire. Number one, we take away the fuel. How do we remove the fuel? By resenting or despising someone's spiritual giftedness or neglecting our own. Number two way to uh, quench a fire, smother the flame. You pour water over it. This is what when we pour water on it, we smother it. We remove the oxygen from it. That's what the slurry from those big tankers was meant to do. It would lay down on the flames and remove the oxygen from it to smother it, so smothering the flame. Uh, when my eight-year-old was younger, one of his favorite movies, you remember this, was Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Great movie, by the way. He used to want to watch this movie all the time. Um, you learn a lot from this little movie about fighting fires. And you're watching this cartoon, and even though it's an animated movie, you actually see how wildfires are battled. There's, there's mitigation. We're, we're going to remove fuel from this area. We're going uh, uh, to cut down some trees so if the fire reaches here, it won't have anything left to do. And we're going to bring bulldozers in. We're going to create fire breaks. or We're going to remove fuel and at the same time on a different front we're going to go in and we're going to drop slurry and we're going to drop waters and we're going to have choppers go by and pick up water out of ponds and drop it on the fire and, and, and we walk, we saw this lived out before us you put a water on fire it goes out uh, the spirit what this it, the, it, the the work of the spirit goes out in our lives when we smother his work in our lives. How do we do that? Spirit is clear that we quench the spirit by our own sin. We remove the fuel, despise the spiritual giftedness of ourselves and others, or we smother it. How do we do that? Personal sin in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. 
the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So smothering or quenching the spirit through our sin comes in a couple of ways. One is worldliness. It's when we act like who we aren't anymore. Paul says, don't live like them. That's not you anymore. We smother the work of the spirit. We quench the work of the spirit. We have no standards in our lives as followers of Jesus. We quench the work of, our spirit, of the Spirit. When your life looks just like your lost neighbor's life. We're quenching the work of our Spirit. When we have private, hidden sin in our lives. We're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We wonder why we don't get victory over one area in our life. It's because we're hiding something sometimes in another area of our life. We're keeping it secret. And sin is the way that we smother the work of the Spirit in our lives. So Paul says this, this worldliness, the time and the energy and everything that we put into being like what we no longer are, but we'll spend no time cultivating a relationship with the Lord. That's worldliness. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 to 20. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a person is committed outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. This was written to the Corinthian church. Corinth was a port city, and the ships that would travel in and out of Corinth would also carry men who would travel up to the temple of Aphrodite. Same city, okay? Uh, uh, and they would spend their income on one of the more than 1,000 temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. So when Paul says to the Corinthian church, you are a temple, but you are not a temple to your own body or to your own lust like Aphrodite over there. But you are a temple to the Spirit of God who lives within you. It is in this context that Paul says you're a temple of God. Therefore, he says, sexual sin in that regard is no different than temple prostitution was to the Corinthian church. What quenches or smothers the work of God in your life quicker than anything else? The sin that we hide. The sin that we don't confess. The sin that we coddle. The sin that we keep. And sometimes, beloved, we treat our sin like it's a little pet chihuahua. Sometimes it gets annoying and it'll yap at us but it's containable and we can pet it and we can coddle it and we can keep it on a leash. But here's the reality. Your sin appetite is not a chihuahua, but an apex predator looking to destroy and devour your life. And the sin that we keep quenches the power of God's spirit in our life. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, we already read it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and it may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Finally, he says, be kind to one another. 
Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Relational sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It suppresses his work in our lives. So when there's disunity, specifically among believers, he grieves. So, so, so we've digested, we're really just chewed on a lot of scripture in the past few minutes. But these are passages that we need to walk away today with. And we need to digest them by asking some questions of ourselves at home. And here they are, I'm going to give you two. Are there secret sins? Are there secret sins? Are there things that I have kept hidden that need to be exposed to the wondrous, purifying light of the gospel? Or are there things that I have covered in my life? It's not my, it's not my job to convince you. I couldn't have tried. But my guess is if there are secret sins in your life, this is not something that you are going to have to pray about. Say, oh God, would you reveal? You know right now. You know right now. Because the Lord's already been dealing with you. So as you, as you go home, this is the prayer. Lord, would you help me confront my secret sins? Would you help me to expose them and confess them to you and to other brothers and sisters? Would you help me get help with my secret sins in my life? And then the second question is this. Am I despising the gifts? Am I despising what he's blessed me or others with? Paul says that God gets grieved. I know oftentimes we we talk about the wrath of God against sin. He gets angry. But in the life of a believer, he gets sad. I don't want to grieve the Lord. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to cause Him sorrow over my my secrets, my attitudes. So let's just end with this thought: Why is He? What in my life could possibly cause my Savior sorrow? And that's the thing we bring before Him and lay down. And say, will you remove it? Would you make me who you want me to be as you're exposing in me the things that do not belong? Let me pray with us. And let me just say to you, in a moment, we're going to pray. The band will come and play. And if you need to come, just get on your face before the Lord to confess things to him here. You are more than welcome to, and someone will be more than happy to pray with you. If right now, like even, even maybe earlier when Hayden was being baptized, the Lord just said, man, you, you need to take that step. I'm telling you, we'll baptize you today. The water's still warm. All I ask of you is be obedient to what God's doing in you. If you need to meet Jesus, I've got good news for you. We can introduce you. If you need to join this body of believers, I've got good news for you. We'd love to have you. You feel like God is calling you to step out in some way? Man, we'd love to pray with you and explore that with you. Do you need counsel about sin that you've been battling? 
Let us help you. Let us put you in touch with someone on our staff or somebody in our community that can walk with you through that. Let's be people who don't grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray and thank you. We thank you that you are patient with us even though we don't deserve it. We thank you that you are gracious towards us when we have done nothing to earn it or merit it. Move in your people. Speak to us. Help us to confront the dark places in our lives. In your good and beautiful name, amen. We stand as we...